I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Dr. John Cruz, author, neuroscientist, and psychiatrist. His new book is Recognizing Adult ADHD, What Donald Trump Can Teach Us About Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. According to a study in the Journal of Attention Disorders, adults who have received an ADHD diagnosis experience improved functioning, better health-related quality of life, and stronger self-esteem compared to adults who demonstrate ADHD symptoms but have no diagnosis. With 25 years of psychiatric experience and a specialty in treating patients with adult ADHD, Dr. Cruz shares why getting a diagnosis can make such a big difference. He charts a path for reducing stigma around ADHD and other mental health conditions by delving into the intertwined fields of neuroscience, psychiatry, ethics, and politics. Based in San Francisco, he has supplemented his direct clinical knowledge by being a member and co-leader of a local group of psychiatrists focusing on treating ADHD. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you here today, Dr. Cruz. I'm delighted to be able to talk with you this morning. Okay. Well, all right. First, I guess the first question has to be the definition of ADHD, because not everybody knows that. And then maybe secondly, what are the symptoms of adult ADHD? And how can you tell if you have that condition? So maybe that's three questions. Let's first start with the definition. Well, I'll start by saying different people have slightly different definitions, but the formal diagnostic definition is an individual who, in a multitude of different situations over a period of time, is expressing excessive amounts of hyperactivity, inattention, impulsivity, um, and problems related to those behaviors. So when you talk about impulsivity and hyperactivity, well, you're giving an example in the title, actually, in your book of Donald Trump. What would be examples of his behavior that would would would? Um, it, that, I mean, in, yeah. in terms of impulsivity, mm-hmm. tweeting out your sentiments about what someone is testifying about you in an impeachment investigation hearing, most people would consider impulsive, and you know, the accounts are that even his aides thought that. This was not in his best interest to be doing so, but, and at some level, he probably realized that, but he couldn't restrain himself from speaking out and saying what he was feeling in the moment. And we've seen numerous times where he's tweeted or made public statements that were impulsive and not well thought out. And the difference between that and hyperactivity? So hyperactivity is specifically talking about the physical manifestations. So again, I'll, in my book and, and right now, I'll be talking about Mr. Trump just because he is an example that everyone is aware of. If I was picking on a celebrity in the media world or sports, we'd have a much narrower audience and fewer people would know what we're referring to. But with Mr. Trump, <clears throat> in terms of the hyperactivity, when he's speaking, we see not just a normal amount of gesturing, but sort of wild gesturing with his hands, shaking his head, bobbing his head. In situations, we've had numerous diplomatic situations where they're taking official pictures, where he's wandering around, where everyone else is standing and posed, 
So there's a physical restlessness, and he even capitalizes on it and sort of makes fun of low energy or slow or sleepy Joe Biden or Jeb Bush or other people who he perceives to be displaying less energy than he displays. Well, as I said in the opening, you're talking about people who are diagnosed have a better chance of, of helping themselves um, and and to be able to control their activity or their impulsivity. So we're assuming he hasn't been diagnosed, Mr. Trump? Yeah, I'm, I'm just not... He certainly hasn't revealed that he's been diagnosed. So that's as, as much as I can concretely say there. You say that there are... This is a quite a statistic. An estimated 4.4% of all U.S. adults have ADHD, but only half of them seek help. Why, why is that? So a couple, one is a lot of them aren't aware of ADHD. Um, so when I first started training or first started my practice 25 years ago, I trained for four years in the psychiatry residency at UCSF. University of California at San Francisco, a good medical center, and there was not a single mention that adults could have ADHD in four years of training. We learned about it in kids, but at that period in time, there was no understanding that many kids who have it do not outgrow it. Um, increasingly, there's been more awareness, but it's particularly with younger cohorts. So most of the 20s and 30-year-olds I meet with you know, are certainly aware that adults can have ADHD. A fair number of the 50, 60, and 70-year-olds are completely amazed that adults could still have it or that it exists in adulthood. So one is just lack of awareness among the individuals. And if you don't know what's going on then you're not, or what's problematic, then you're not going to seek for help in the directions that may lead to help. Two is even among the mental health world and clinicians, there's a lot of people, particularly if they were trained in an era, you know, my era or, or earlier, if they know anything about adult ADHD, it's what they taught themselves. It's not what they learned in any of their training because, again, it wasn't available. And more so than just learning about the information, if you don't have an eye for looking for it, you can often miss it, and particularly given there's high levels of comorbidity. So many people with ADD also are depressed or also are anxious or also have substance abuse problems. And at least in our society, we're more tied into or, or clued into paying attention to if someone's abusing cocaine or if someone's depressed and if they have ADHD. So many people in the mental health world have focused on these individuals' other problems, even though in many cases the ADHD is a much more long-standing and more prevalent and persistent problem, and, and in many cases, the origin for their depression or the source of their anxiety or a contributor to their substance abuse problems. So you're even saying professionals, tr traditionally or now, uh, the hierarchy of how they diagnose individuals is kind of a little skewed or confused. I mean, that, they, that, that this doesn't take priority, ADHD. And then you've got the other, as you mentioned, like uh, substance abuse or um, drugs. Um, the other thing I was going to ask you was, 
I know, say, 25 years ago, that you know, kids were diagnosed with, with, with this diagnosis, and then they would give them medication like Ritalin, which was very popular. Yeah. I don't know if it still is, and are there other ways to mitigate this behavior besides having to drug people? So the official um, ADHD treating, the American Association of Pediatrics, um, ADHD organizations all say that the treatments that we have the most demonstrated efficacy for still would be the stimulant medications, and those would be Ritalin products and Adderall products. But there are also clearly a host of mostly cognitively, behaviorally, CBT-based therapies, talking therapies, which measurably can help reduce some of the symptomatology and problems associated with ADHD. There's also right now a wealth of other um, biofeedback and other approaches which certainly have their people advocating their use. There have not been clear-cut and robust studies about how much those some of these other more recent approaches work. I mean, I, I think there's probably some value in them, but it's been hard to demonstrate so far in studies. And part of it is, is not a lot of them have been rigorously studied enough. Um, what about the shame of, and the stigma of, of mental illness, um, which is maybe part of the reason why people, even if they may suspect that they have this problem, really don't want to go to a psychiatrist or a therapist and be diagnosed because they don't want to be diagnosed with, quote, a mental illness. Yeah, shame is certainly a barrier to treatment and, and getting back to what you I'd say it's almost connected to the shame, a fear of that if the only treatment in the popular imagination is these, I would say, heavy-duty stimulant medications, that's also a deterrent for people coming in. They don't want to be shamed and they don't want to be given these heavy-duty drugs. Interestingly enough, certainly in the 20-year-old high school, college-age populations, there's much less stigma around an ADHD diagnosis than around a depression diagnosis. So I've had, and, and we have, in addition to the stimulants, some drugs that we traditionally call antidepressants like Wellbutrin or Cymbalta have been demonstrated to be effective in ADHD, but I've had a hard time convincing college students to take this. I say, I don't want to take an antidepressant drug for my ADHD. I'm, you know, I'm cool and my friends would be cool if I'm on Ritalin or Adderall, but, you know, Wellbutrin, Cymbalta, anything like that, it gets stigmatized. Um, Aren't some of these drugs, don't they, especially when you're talking about young adults, um, they have an effect on your libido and that 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 is an issue especially with say college kids a negative um, effect the the, the the medications that most strongly interfere with libido sexual desire and um, orgasmic aspects of sexuality are the serotonin reuptake inhibitors so the prozac paxil zoloft lexapro drugs those are actually not particularly helpful for adhd um but the medications that also bring in norepinephrine or norepinephrine and dopamine action are the ones that, which is something that the stimulants do as well. Those actually um, don't seem to have detrimental effects on libido. So, so 
I mean, a drug like Welbutrin is actually used often to treat libido problems that are caused by Prozac or Paxil or Zoloft. Now, as a psychiatrist... Yeah. No, go ahead. I don't want to interrupt. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, so if they're avoiding Welbutrin because they think it's an antidepressant that's going to cause sexual problems, that's just misinformation there. 25 years of psychiatry, you've had a lot of experience. What interested you? Why did you become interested in ADHD? So one of the very first patients that was referred to me after I finished residency was a man in his mid-40s, and he had been in therapy with a well-respected psychoanalytic therapist for seven years, and the therapist referred this man to the university hospital saying, in seven years, I've made absolutely no progress with this guy. He's had more than 100 jobs by the age of 40. He's a smart guy, but he doesn't seem able to learn. He doesn't seem to progress. And I'm wondering if he has ADHD. And they sent him to the university hospital where he had three or four days of neuropsychometric testing. And they said, well, this looks exactly like ADHD, but that doesn't exist in adults. And then they referred him on to me to, you know, here, you're the young new doctor. You take care of him and see what you can do with him. And again, I looked at him, and if he was a seven- or eight-year-old boy, there would actually have been no question at all that he had ADHD. So that's what led me to start educating myself about ADHD in adults and learning that, yes, it really can occur. And this gentleman had a very severe example or case of it, and it's so profound. I mean, the other thing it brought home is ADHD is not just a trivial diagnosis. It's not just a, oh, there's a squirrel. It's not just minor distractibility. And this guy was a bright guy. He was energetic. He was personable. He wanted to succeed. And he had had, again, more than 100 jobs by the age of 42. And he was already on disability by that time because he couldn't hold any job for more than three or four weeks. So even when he worked as a uh, cashier at a grocery store, he would start checking out someone's groceries, and then he'd say, oh, cool cowboy boots, where'd you get them? And then he'd start talking for three or four minutes about their cool leather cowboy boots, and his line at the grocery store was three times as long as any of the others because he was engaging the customers and not attending to the task at hand. And then at the end of the transaction, you know, he'd be handing them change, or they'd be handing, and he'd have a dollar bill in his hand and he wouldn't even remember was I giving that back to you for change or are you giving it to me and enough customers would take advantage of him that at the end of the day his till was always short and again his long his lines were always long and you know a boss wouldn't want to keep someone like that as an employee so this is a man who never was able to hold on to any meaningful job for more than a few months and what about his social relationships a few weeks um, marriage, socially, girlfriends, yeah, boyfriend, whatever. Yeah, he he had a girlfriend for a few years, and eventually she dropped him and found someone else and married another man. And and she still was and is the most important. I mean, they talk several times a week by phone, um, but didn't develop too many deep relationships with too many other people. So we know ADHD, the rates of divorce are more than double what they are in the general population. 
um, rates of not completing school, losing jobs, being incarcerated, getting into substance abuse problems are two or three times what they are in the general population. Um, and at even a more serious level, the rates of serious car accidents, the rates of death from other accidents, the overall mortality is substantially increased for people who have ADHD. So it's a very serious problem. Uh, what about ADHD in terms of, is it on a continuum? You know, like autism is on a continuum or yeah. th- is, is yeah, that, yeah, okay. It's certainly on a continuum and that's part of what makes it tricky for diagnosing. So unlike schizophrenia where hallucinations are not something that are occurring in the general population, all of the symptoms of ADHD are things that everyone does a little. I mean, if you're at maybe a sports game, you may be blurting out comments or you know cheering for your team rather than just silently wishing them on. Um, so again, the definition of ADHD is based on doing these behaviors to an excessive degree that's inappropriate for your developmental age. Um, and we try not to over diagnose so um so again it has to be excessive but what is excessive is often loosely defined and it's also should be leading to problems either distress internally or problems interacting with the larger world so i often hear people talking we'll use the term just in in a Oh, I, I'm, if they're running around and trying to do something and, uh, you know, they forget to do something or whatever, they're, you know, and then they're having a bad day and we'll say, oh, I have ADHD and use that term sort of yep. loosely, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, people use it loosely, but, but and I don't know what person, what I'm getting back to why people don't come into treatment. I've had people in their 30s, 40s, or 50s when, had never been diagnosed and were evaluating, let's say, their troubles with anger management. And then I'll bring up, you know, you you're came in late, you're, you know, we're talking to yourself on the way down the hall, you're doing other things that, that suggest that ADHD might be present, and they'll say something like, oh, yeah, my friends joked about I have ADHD, but, but I thought it was just a joke, not a real diagnosis. So, I mean, not everyone who thinks, who, who uses ADHD colloquially as a term for being distracted has it, but some substantial segment of those people really do have ADHD and really haven't put it in perspective enough. And part of it is that if you're inattentive because you have ADHD, you're not paying attention to how inattentive you are. That may seem circuitous, but but the very cluelessness that can be present in ADHD can be a barrier for you realizing how much of a problem it is in different realms of your life. So take us through a, a patient who comes to you, it's, is sitting in your chair and um, in your office, and besides medication, which we talked about, what what is the process, how long does it usually take, or maybe there isn't a usually, to work with a patient to help them change their behavior or understand their behavior and then make behavioral changes. Um, can we talk, we only have a few minutes left, but specifically, what do you do as the, as the, uh, as the psychiatrist? 
so the first, I'm not, if I'm not answering the exact aspect of the question you want, please redirect me. So the first part of it is actually making sure of the diagnosis. So again, many people, you know, some people do come in saying, I have ADHD, please help me with it. And I've read these books, I've seen this online, or people have commented on it, or even I think I was diagnosed and treated in childhood 30 years ago and think I need to get back on it. But a much bigger percentage of people I'm seeing are coming in with things like anger management or um, I'm doing things and using drugs impulsively when I don't want to be doing that. Or some people come in focused on anxiety and, and or depression. So part of the process is if ADHD is there is sort of sorting, one is identifying if it's there, and two, trying to identify is this actually a significant possible source of their other problems or not. Um, so there are some people who their ADHD is clear-cut enough, there's not other um, comorbidities like depression or anxiety who at the end of a two-hour evaluation, I'm conferenced enough that it's ADHD and that the medications will help and they're confident enough that that's the direction they want to go where, I mean, that would be the fastest track scenario where they, at the end of those two hours, I'm explaining what the different medication options are and what their side effects and possible downsides are and what their potential benefits are. And then we're prescribing at the end of that session. More often, it's several evaluation sessions where we're sorting out what's ADHD or if ADHD is new to them, I'm always, you know, trying to explain it in the first session, but strongly recommending go to this website or go to this book and read more for yourself and then come back to me so we can discuss what parts of this seem to fit and explain things in your life and what parts, you know, don't seem to connect with you at all. Um, so, and Many people, you know, want to try non-medication approaches first. Um, so I've, there's people I've worked with for many weeks to many months of weekly or bi-weekly treatment before we move over to medications um, when they've found that the behavioral and cognitive approaches weren't enough for them to make significant changes in their life. So in other words, you really, and we only have a couple minutes left, so I want you to give us websites that we can go to. And I'll, obviously, I want to mention your book again, but to get more information about your book and, and, uh, and about you. Um, so you have to define the problem. You help the patient to define the problem, get more information about the problem. And it may take several evaluations depending on, I guess, your treatment options and you know exactly what the diagnosis is. So, Dr. Um, Bruce, could you give us a website, a uh, website for your book and website for, maybe you have a your own website that we can go to for more info. Yep. So my the website for my author website is drjohncruz.com, and that's John with an H, so J-O-H-N-K-R-U-S-E.com. The book. I have is called Recognizing Adult ADHD, what Donald Trump can teach us about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and it's available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, and the audiobook did just come out a m month ago, um, so that's, many people with ADHD don't like sitting and reading, so the audiobook's a good option there. Um, 
some of the other books I often recommend, I mean, one of the standard ADHD resources is um, Driven to Distraction by Ed Hallowell. One of my favorites that's written specifically for the family and friends of people with ADHD is called Is It You, Me, or Adult ADHD by Gina Perra. Great. Um, Great books. Those are you. We have to yep. say goodbye. <laughs> I think you probably could okay. list a few more, but those are two really good ones. Um, thanks so much for being on the show today, Dr. John Cruz, MD, PhD. Yep, I'm so glad to have been able to talk with yep. you this morning. Thank thanks. You. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 